let's get into some parenting news. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's not the years, it's the mileage. So we have a very special guest, and he's special to us. We hang out with him offline. It's not, it's not, we don't just bring him on for the show. We, we see him outside the show, and he's a, a very dear friend of ours. But we brought him on because there is something very special he's doing. And Leon touched on it earlier, and Pun also mentioned it a little bit during What's Your Brown. Uh, adventure guides and other social activities that happen as a parent. And Leon, maybe you want to tee this one up just in Absolutely. terms of what the significance it is for parents who might be listening. Well, Pun and I have talked about it in the past, and I think fathers in general are, are always trying to figure out, you know, how do I bond with my daughter, daughters? Uh, what, what, how do we find common interests? And, and again, Pun and I have talked about it a lot. And he got super involved in a group, and I thought, God, that sounds really cool that he has the he has the time. He's making the time, and you know, as much of and I know you're all listening tonight and or today, whenever you're listening in, and saying this guy, he sounds like an idiot. This guy sounds like a terrible, terrible person, but he's not. He's a great person and a great father. <laughs> I wish you could see <laughs> see his face right now. No, he's he's amazing. He goes out of his way. Yeah, like your uh, wedding speech here. Yeah, I know. He goes he goes out of his way constantly for his kids, more than anyone I've ever seen. But when uh, he convinced me to at least spend a little time with the group, I understood why he is so involved with the YMCA and the adventure guides and. Uh, you know, I don't, he's, he's not a spokesman that he's, he's just a participant of, of the group, but it's, it's, it's really a great thing. If you are looking for something, uh, and looking for opportunities to create memories with your kids, good memories, ones that are going to last a long time. So that, that's me kicking it off to you, Pun. And, and, uh, if you could share a little bit about how you got into it and, and why it's something you you promote since I'm, I've only been in it now for officially two weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, first is, you know, it's a, the program adventure guys used to be called adventure or Indian princesses. And for maybe obvious reasons or unconfirmed, you know, they changed it. Yeah. I remember hearing about it when you and your, your dad took your sister. I know. Yeah. Stephanie, right. So um, yeah. we did the normal stuff, uh, you know, where I took, you know, coaching soccer and uh, doing the kids going to dance and baseball and things like that. And there was, there was something else I thought I could do beyond, right. Cause there, you know, it's practices and it's a game and then a small talk. It's not, it's not going out and spending just the dad and kids. Um, I did not grow up camping, so I had no, no knowledge of it. We had tried Owen in Boy Scouts Cub Scouts, whatever, where it's, you know, the boys and a scout leader. Um, I didn't really care for that style. And I was looking at adventure guides for a while and other trail life started. It's similar to scouting. Um, but, uh, and I did not like the Girl Scouts from what I'm hearing coming out of there, the heavy fundraising. So, I had a guy at work, my, when my, my boss was saying, this is what he does and this is what it's about. And, you know, it was a little, a little pricey to begin with. They do have like, uh, you know, they do have a, a system or a, a in, where people who are struggling 
can still participate just as much as anybody else. And I think, and it's right, it's a nonprofit. So people are doing donations to support that, which is great. So I, I enrolled both the kids. There's a dad and daughter and a dad and son. And, uh, you know, the daughter's group was much smaller. And we just did amazing things. The first camp out, we camped out down in San Diego on the beach where they brought little foam surfboards for the kids. Um, I mean, the first camp out right on the beach, like that's the main thing. It's like, oh, you're going to camp in a parking lot. Like, how fun is that? It's not. So we were right there. We were in the water. We were, food was there. And it was really fun, except for the fact that like my air mat, my air pad didn't, was flat. So your can't, you know, your back is broken. But that's the fun part, right? You, it's, it's not always the things that go well that you remember. It's the things that didn't go well. <laughs> you're like, that's the stories that you tell years, years to come. Hashtag dead life. Yeah, I mean, kind of. But for me, like, because this is as much about, you know, me spending the time with the girls and the kids. Mm-hmm. And the, other, the other part I had to acknowledge, acknowledge was I'm not comfortable in new places. I'm not comfortable not sleeping in my own bed. Uh, you know, he's a group of seven or eight guys. I don't know. We're just all getting together for the kids, but we're camping together. So it's, it's like you're, you're going into a group for better or worse. And luckily it was all, it was for the better, right? It took me a while to warm up to the group or open up. Uh, but when I do, I generally do well finding, you know, a couple guys to connect with. So, um, it's, it's all volunteer. They, the, the YMCA has the pull, they run the organization so they can get you into the campgrounds, but it's the dads volunteering beyond just taking their kids. They're going into leadership roles that are booking the campsites, booking the, uh, the arrangements for each circle, planning the activities. Um, so it not, I mean, the guys you're getting there going in are committed. Right. The guys who are going up and, and taking leadership roles are super committed. And, and their job is to make, you know, the rest of the dads and daughters have a memorable um, event. So, it, you know, me and Cora, we started, she was 11, getting into the tough years, 12, 13. But uh, she loves it. We spend most of the time together. Mary's with her friends most of the time, uh, but she loves it. And, you know, I think when she gets older, she's going to start appreciating, you know, that we went and spending time with me and things like that. But all in all, it's these guys who I feel terrible, like really jealous of the guys that have been in there for seven, eight years. Cause they've, you know, you can see it in their relationship with their, their kids. You know, what's great about it too, is that you have an active interest in the, um, the people that your kids are hanging around with that have, I would say positive influence, you know, the, you, you can tell that these are, these are parents that are engaged in their children's lives and, and actually care. And then you're mingling your child, which obviously you care about with these, because you don't get to pick your kids friends, right? You don't get to, but these girls that, you know, at the party were super supportive of 
this little five-year-old who doesn't know anybody. She's an introvert and they welcomed her into the group. And, you know, how cool for her, for these 13, 14 year old girls to be, you know, at all ages, it's not fair, but yeah. I'm just saying at the very top, you know, to have these girls saying, come on in, come part of the group, you know, that is exciting for them. And, you know, it's a positive thing for them yeah. and they're excited. And I, I love that part of it. That, that was a big dynamic um, in going, right? Cause it's not scouts where if you're in Girl Scouts um, or another Boy Scouts or whatever, uh, you're going to be in there with boys your own age. Whereas this group, the way the program is set up, it's girls five to 13, right? right. So it just helps with the social, they get to socialize with all these age groups and find their place. And the older girls mentor the little girls and, 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 and do stuff as well. You can, and it's, you saw a bit of it at the meeting, but in the campouts, you'll see it even more, you know, encouraging to go down the zip line and slides and this and that. Um, that was a, that was a good, that, just another good aspect of the program is they get that age variance. No, yeah, that's important. And the, these are connections that very well could be for life. You know, I, I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout. And um, a lot of the people I was in there with, I'm, I'm still friends with. I, I wish that my father was more engaged in that. He was with the meetings that we went to. And when we did like the, 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 the car races and the rocket races and that kind of stuff. I'll never forget any of that. And there's no, re I would have never been in there if it wasn't for my parents. They got me in there, but this one seems very, this group specifically is more about, you know, that bond between your parents and children. Like you said, you, you have a father daughter one and a father son one and um, the, the really cool activities you got everything from dances to campouts to roller skating events to just backyard barbecues and 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 just really cool low key. It's all about fun. It's all about bonding. And take the drama, leave it behind you. And uh, I, I hope I hope it's going to be a pretty good adventure for the two of us. So I appreciate you pulling us yeah. in there. Yeah, it's uh, you know. When I'm trying to bring dads in, and, and the th even I had, everyone's busy, and you'll always find a reason to not sign up for something or not do something. But when you just commit, the the ability to go away and say I'm going to get everything done and, and be done for the weekend, when you're gone, there is, when you get there, right? Because the drive out, if you're going to San Diego or inland, and he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> we lost. Him. It's too bad he was in mid-thought. That shit was awesome. He was, yeah, he was on a roll. Uh, for those of you listening, it's ymcaoc.org slash adventure guides. It's the YMCA of Orange County. There's yes. a infographic here on the website. The Adventure Guides program was developed to help strengthen family relationships. As the parent of a young child, you have the tremendous opportunity to get to know your child. Spending quality one-on-one -on -one time with your child will help build a strong bond of trust and memories that will last a lifetime. Learn more at ymcaoc.org. And uh, would I be correct in assuming, Pun, that there are probably chapters all over the country for this? So there, the I think this program started in Southern California, and there is some variation or difference between, you know, in like Ohio when or Michigan when we were trying to look at if we wanted to move. 
this was a program I was looking at their, their site to see like, Hey, does it have there? Is this going to, this is an important part of the, the family. Um, but the, you know, the interesting thing was if somebody was really interested about it, you could start the program at the, your local YMCA. And um, they should, and, and they should. And I think, uh, the you know you called out the focus right there it's about more than more than ever whatever political side of the fence you're on right now if you haven't realized the most important thing you have going for you right now is your family and the time you're spending with them and if if you've ever talked to any parent you know talk to your parents above you talk to other parents with grown kids everybody will say the same thing it happens so fast. Don't let it go by. It happens so fast. Don't let it go by. And these types of scenarios, the puns talking about that you, you make dedicated time to do these events, these once in a lifetime memory making events where the bonding is between you and your child is there's, there's nothing that you're doing in your life. That's more important than that. And I'm telling you that right now, nothing you're doing, not, not your job, nothing you're doing is more important than that time because you'll never get it back. And just go talk to anybody who's got a kid that's older than 16. They'll tell you the same thing, right? You blink and it's gone. So I appreciate it, but I appreciate you, uh, you know, sticking on me and making sure I do that because it's real easy to blink. And then you're a month by and two months by and three months by and next thing your, your kid's five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then they don't like you anymore. They just want money. <laughs> when, yeah, when you when you go through it, when you go and you are seeing the the girls that are graduating out of the program, and there is a ceremony for when you graduate out, 13, 14 usually. Um, these are these are supposed to be the toughest times, right? Teenage girl. And but if you see these guys who have stuck with it and graduated their daughters out of the program, spent years literally once a month, couple, but a couple, you know, with a meeting twice a month just you and her or you and them, when you see how they're turning out, like this is an insane thing to turn away. Um, it, you'll, it's it'll, it's going to shock you. It just shakes all the stereotypes of the normal father-daughter relationship at that age because the, the time invested and the, you know, I think they realize how much you're putting into them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's wonderful. So, thanks. Thanks, Bon. Uh, if you do a quick search for adventure guides in your search engine, what you'll find is there is a ymcasd.org for San Diego. There's a California Adventure Guides. There is Adventure Guides and Princesses for Bartlett Lake, Adventure Guides Dallas. And there's a number of other organizations that all fall within the YMCA umbrella uh, for this type of activity. So that's a, a wonderful opportunity for families to get together and have these quiet times. And of course, there is research and science to back up the idea of get outdoors. If you have kids mm -hmm. with device addiction, if you have kids with too much time on screens, get them outside. And it looks like this is all about togetherness, outdoors, and um, kind of the human spirit of coming together. So excellent job, fellas. This is wonderful. Cool. That Join. Parenting yeah. segment. We'll be right back.
back. Because we have a special guest, we're going to close the show with a section we normally dedicate to Leon Loathes. And of course, Sorry, I'm not gonna, without loathing. Not going to bitch tonight, is what he's saying. Uh, we'll be back again next episode with plenty of time for Leon to say whatever's on his mind because there's certainly <laughs> enough for him to talk about. And we always want to know what's going on in his world. For this particular time, we want to take some time and dedicate it to our special guest. Pun is within the supply chain industry. And there's a wonderful opportunity for him to talk to this, which comes to us from Yahoo Finance. Three major ways our supply chains are broken. This comes from uh, msn.com forward slash ENUS money news. U.S. supply chains have suffered major damage due to the combined factors of the coronavirus pandemic, short-term corporate planning, and underinvestment in logistics, a new report from S&P Global Research found. In a series of three reports released Monday, Panjiva, the supply chain research unit of S&P Global Market Intelligence, detailed the outlook for supply chains for the third quarter of 2021 and beyond. They have been two major signs of disruptions to supply chains in North America in the first half of 2021, and they will likely unwind during the second half of the year, the report found. The first sign, the report explained, is the surge in consumer demand seen in elevated retail sales and a fall in inventory. Retail sales increased 15.7% in May 2021 from May 2019 before the pandemic. And although U.S. imports have increased in an attempt to meet demand, they have not been enough to support sales on the basis of falling inventory to sales ratios. The inventory to sales ratio indicates this has been the case as in the U.S. retail sector in which it fell from 1.47 in April 2019 to 1.07 in April 2021. In order to rebuild inventory, the report adds increased shipping activity may need to persist even in demand falls Q3 and Q4. The reason I think this is significant is we had a talk last episode with Mr. Jones, who stood in for Leon, in regards to inflation. And his whole deal is inflation is here to stay due to rising wages. And he and I had a bit of a back and forth in terms of, is this simply a bump in supply? Is inflation being caused by supply and demand curves in which the supply has dropped, therefore demands higher, and that's raising prices. We went back and forth on the idea of, is this an inflationary curve, the likes of which we have not seen in at least a decade? And I think this speaks to it, at least from my side of the argument, but I'm not a supply chain expert. So I'm wondering if, Pon, you have any thoughts on this or perhaps any of your own uh, perspective on what we're uh, talking about. Yes, this article is focusing on on consumer, right? So I do I do military subcontracts. So but we were all in COVID, so we all know that we were all spending more time at home, working remote, the people that were lucky enough um and everybody who was spending that time at home and still working was buying the heck out of just about anything to make their life better, right? I bought a smoker when my, I mean, my thing broke, everybody's upgrading their house, getting pools and hot tubs and, and everything, right? So we see where that is going to cause a spike in the consumer market. Uh, I don't, I would not have attributed it to wage growth because wages have been rising uh, for years. And we're just now seeing the inflation um, related to at least the supply uh, not meeting demand. So as far as what the supply chain is doing wrong in other places, the reliance on China is obvious. You can't have, uh, I thought one of the things that the Trump administration did well was to make companies or put through 
that they had to have a, a stronger percentage in the U.S. or non, um, non-sourced through China or Asia, which would, which would have just also increased uh, employment levels as well. But we, it's a reduction we, of risk for sure. All, all of our eggs in China's basket is with, with, with the supply chain of this country. Medicines, aerospace is even going there where it can be used for commercial applications and consumer. So that's, that's a huge risk. That should have been a big risk. Are you seeing any uh, challenges uh, in, in in my previous role? I, I was early on in, in COVID and I was having a lot of trouble logistically getting a lot of things from Europe. A lot of things I had uh, to procure were from the UK. They were from Europe, which, you know, Brexit's just shaking them up. They don't exactly sure what they're going to do about that, let alone the pandemic, let alone, you know, you got companies like, or in countries like Spain that are really reducing production out of there. And, and they're the largest production of, um, they're, they're a big producer of a lot of textiles. Sorry, a lot of textiles are, are coming out of there. There's countries that specialize in a lot of these products that we use that we don't even realize we're using. And I, and, and I, I think a good example is the auto industry right now. The U.S. auto industry we're back to work. They're in the factories. They're trying to build cars and all the components to build the cars come from these countries that have not opened up yet. So they can't build the cars. So just because the U.S. is open and ready, and even though most of the things are assembled here in the U.S., you know, you're you're getting people that go out and buy these brand new cars or, you know, or one of the ones, let's say you go to Ford and you're like, I want the new F-150 and I want it this color and I want it to have these features. They will tell you that's great. You'll see it in 2022 sometime around May because they have no freaking clue when all the components are going to come out of you. You mentioned Asia and I, and I understand we get a lot of components from Asia, but outside of Asia, I think there's a lot of struggles worldwide uh, and are you seeing any of that or is it most of what you're saying is, is, is strictly Asia? So, you know, when we're looking at the lead time or supply chain problems, we're looking at lead time increases because some of the suppliers, um, right. The big facet for me though, is, is I, I work in military. We have certain ratings that are built into long-term agreements and, and contracts where, you, your mission critical, you are not allowed to take time off, right? Uh, mm-hmm. you, you know, uh, I understand it's COVID. Uh, the F-35 is not sitting on the ground. So you are working or we are going to either go in there uh, and do it ourselves, or we're going to, we're going to find you uh, out of existence. And then we're going right. to take over intellectual property because we need to make it. And you're so, allowed to find them even in a pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. Interesting. Right. We, we, that's specifically put into the into the contracts when you agree to build um, to be qualified on the program, right? It's not like we're buying off the shelf stuff. But it we're seems saying, like rules like that are just getting thrown out the window these days. Like, yeah, I heard what you said. I heard the contract says this, but welcome to the new world of COVID. That doesn't apply anymore, and the and everyone's got to react to that. You're not saying that? No. So okay. Interesting. The realm of national it. security. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, even if it's not, you know, because there are some components, um, you know, 
when we're looking at raw materials, right? We can't we can't put pretty much any component out assembled or even somewhat subassembled out of the country, right? For for military aerospace, commercial aerospace, you're going to you can go to Malaysia, you can go to Thailand, other places, but where we would see it would be raw materials coming out of China and Asia for metals. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Teflon for seals and polymers are coming out of Europe. So, no, we we built in that that benefit to where you know. But the other side is if people are relying on commercial aerospace or commercial products, planes are down. You know, the commercial flight industry was down, so there was no pressure there. If anything, people were were willing to work with the military to pull their parts in because they still want it. We want it yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we, we, we had no slowdown in the military. Hmm. Interesting. Must be nice. <laughs> record, record year. The pandemic had perhaps the most obvious impact on supply chains. Lockdowns prevented the flood of goods from every step in the supply chain, uh, leading to severe disruptions in the manufacturing process. The spread of the virus led to additional risks in almost every industry. Uh, lastly, the report touched upon the fallout arising from the underinvestment in logistics. Supply chains have had to deal with the stress of elevated demand against an essentially fixed supply of logistics services during the first half of 2021. Interestingly, the report notes that many ports have continued to operate at peak levels during what is normally the off-peak season. Data collected by the department showed that average daily imports to United States seaports reached 93,320-foot equivalent units, TEUs, per day in June, a level very close to the October 2020 peak season record of 94,100 TEUs per day. Let me tell you, I can vouch for that. I can vouch for that. You go down to Newport right now, where uh, Pun actually proposed to his wife, his beautiful wife. Uh, when you stand there and you see ships lined up, and it's it's a distance, it's way away because they're all trying to get into Long Beach Harbor to drop off their their goods, but they can't get in there. There are just too many. The line is too long, and they can't unload fast enough. So it, it it's a thing. I've never seen that as long as I've ever been in California before. Maybe that's a new thing. I don't know. But I, from what I'm hearing, that is very uncommon. And these ships, I'm talking six, seven, eight deep, just parked outside of Long Beach Harbor, trying to get in there to dump off goods. But there's no one to take it. There's no one working. So it's It it's has rough. something to do, I think... Um, I don't have any evidence to back this up, so you guys can keep me honest here, but the idea of just-in-time inventory was a wonderful way to cut costs, and you had things like Kaizen's and, and continuous improvement going into factory supply chain manufacturing. At some point, you hit a snag, and you ran out of the idea of get it in just in time, and the idea of maybe you should have had maybe a backup plan is that starting well, risk, to affect global supply chain logistics? Well, I think risk is baked into that. I mean, pun pun's the expert here, but I think you when you get into just in time or you go any of those uh, theories that are all about efficiency, yeah, you're you're going to have a part of that equation is the risk of not being able to meet it, right? Pun, I don't know. Yeah, um, just in time is. is- 
it's not just uh, cost. It's, I mean, it's still it's still the reduction in waste of inventory and cash flows, and the additional cost that that gets the price that gets passed on to the customer. Right, it just makes you more competitive. We we always in both divisions that I've been at at the aerospace company, we both did just in time, but we we analyzed as supply chain buyers and planners what parts were going to put us at risk, right? And that was up to us to build into the plan through uh, manuf- manufacturing resource planning, putting in a yield or a scrap rate, um, and then a buffer stock if we thought that this supplier was not reliable or the part was so complex that it was worth having a month or two's worth of inventory uh, in case there was a slip, right? Because then, I mean then you don't impact your customer. Um, and, and that's right. Checks and balances. We would put we would talk to the buyer, the planner, the engineer, evaluate the risk, decide if we wanted to put an extra, that request would go into accounting to say, you know, does it make sense? Because we're, they're just not going to write a blank check uh, to keep, you know, $40,000 castings uh, on the back dock. Yeah. It's a, it's a fair point though, Danny. It's it's something that I think a lot of people are scratching their head. That did they properly evaluate the risk? Who saw this coming? Right, nobody. But at the same time, I I wouldn't I wouldn't scrap the uh, just in time inventory model for for supply chain. I uh, I think it's probably. I think the supply chain is the issue. The worldwide pandemic is the issue. The ideology that you have to strategically keep the right amount of inventory on hand so that it doesn't go bad so that it, you don't have so much that it won't uh, you know break your back because you've outlaid so much cash to have it all of that it, you just can't ball that up and throw it in the trash because COVID hit one year you know I always think about DRP right disaster recovery plans the whole mm-hmm. idea of if something happens, how can we maintain business continuity? That right. has to have something to do with supply chain and logistics. How can we get the things that we need? I was involved in uh, my old job uh, when the tsunami hit the Fukushima plant. There were suppliers in Japan that were simply wiped off the map. Mm-hmm. And you know the phone rang and nobody picked it up. So at some point, the company had to decide, great, tsunamis are a thing. How can we mitigate risk and how can we spread things out? So, yeah, I mean, just in time is a wonderful opportunity to lower your cost structure, pass on savings to customers, put yourself in a good economic position to be efficient. Uh, but at some point, it's it seems silly to me to suggest that something is not going to happen. A natural disaster, an act of God, a meteor, a plague. Uh, well, those are just natural parts of the human condition. It's going to affect business. But that's the risk component. Right. And, and just like Pun said, and I don't want to speak for you, Pun, but that was that's a component. You, you calculate risk. Right. What is the risk of a of a tsunami hitting the supplier? What is the risk of a, a worldwide pandemic? You know, up until this year, it was very low. We'd never seen that before. Not on this scale. So, uh, you know, you're always calculating, you're always changing, you're always adjusting. And anybody who's got the crystal ball to figure out what's going to happen two years from now. That's that's the person I want to know, because <laughs> that's that's where 
that's where you really start making money. Because how many people, we've talked about a couple scenarios even tonight, that people that are making money off the pandemic, that are benefiting from it. And, and that's what happens, right? This tragedy happens, people are making money. Winners people are losers. losing money. Yep. You always have it. So, you know, be, be do your best to prepare for what you can. But either, there's always that, just like supply and demand, there's always that, that, that risk reward you know, uh, graph as well. And you, you, you gotta, you gotta roll the dice if you want to be competitive and Oh, by the way, the the world population is going up every day. So we're going to be more competitive every day. So you got to figure out how do you beat the guy next to you? So that's my two cents. Great discussion, boys. This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>